morning, Watermark. Hey, uh, my name is John McGee. I have been on staff for 18 years uh, here, a long time. My role on staff is to support other churches. I'm on a team called Watermark Resources along with some really gifted folks. Uh, and what we're trying to do is help create healthy churches and healthy leaders. And so we package up some of the ministries that you're familiar with here at Watermark and we export and just kind of uh, coach and, and help. We've got podcasts, we've got articles, conferences, uh, working on some books. So that's what I, uh, that's what I, I do here at, uh, uh, at the church. Uh, my most important role, obviously, uh, is that of uh, husband uh, to Pam of 25 years and then also to uh, my four kids. I'm a dad. And um, we were with our family uh, as a dad, you know, I love to make memories. We were in uh, New York a couple years ago uh, about to see a Mets game and a Yankees game. We were going to go see um, all the ballparks. And so we had a couple days and we said, let's go up to Maine. And we went to Portland, Maine, and we were kind of looking for that quintessential Maine experience. You know, overlooking the harbor, eating a, uh, a lobster or a lobster roll. And we, we kind of did that, and the consensus was uh, the lobster was exceptionally uh, average and exceptionally overpriced, and uh, just wasn't, wasn't a fan. If you're, if you're looking for uh, food recommendations in Portland, Maine, uh, I recommend two things. One is the potato flour donuts, uh, money, and the second would be uh, the raw oyster bars there. So they perfected the way of like flavoring uh, shaved ice and putting it on oysters, could eat it for days. Uh, but the reason most people go to Portland, Maine is to see uh, this lighthouse called the Portland Head uh, Lighthouse. And it was, uh, made, it was kind of built in the uh, 1700s because obviously uh, you know, uh, ships were wrecking right there uh, on the rocks. And, um, and so we were there, went out there, you know, did the deal, got the keychain or, or uh, whatever. And uh, as I was walking, as we were about to go out, walked through this little uh, museum and saw uh, this picture here. And this is a picture from uh, 1886. It's the Annie McGuire, and this is Christmas Eve. And the ship literally wrecked at the foot of the lighthouse. The lighthouse was there. They, they, they uh, interviewed uh, the, both the, the captain and the crew, and they asked, did you see the lighthouse? And they said, we did. And somehow, inexplicably, they wrecked right there at the foot of the lighthouse. And I thought immediately, right away, I thought of leaders who have fallen, Christians who have fallen, many who uh, had, had preached about the warnings of doing so and just didn't heed it themselves. And I remember being just kind of torn up about that uh, then. Uh, it's something that uh, because of my role at, at, with Watermark Resources that I'm continually just kind of mindful of. And it just, it wrecks me in a way that honestly that would be hard for most people to understand. A friend of mine said recently, he goes, you just wear it like nobody else. I've, some nights I'll come home after, especially if there's been a, uh, a bunch of just people falling or, or falling out. And I'll just ask Pam, my wife, to walk with me and just remind me that I'm not crazy that Jesus is worth living for, that we can finish the race, that we've not wasted our lives, and that when it's all said and done, we could have, have just been faithful and not caused uh, the name of Christ any harm. Was, my brother was in town uh, two weeks ago, and we walked the lake, and we talked about why is it that people fall, and we, we kind of said, you know, there's probably three things that always lead to every downfall. Uh, the first would be a pulling back from God's family. There, rather than, than pastoring or being pastored, there's kind of a pulling back, and there's a bit of an isolation. 
There's always a kind of a bending of the truth. There's some truth that they used, used to kind of have a front and center that they believe, and they begin to kind of walk some of that back. And then always there's something about their own soul that they don't tend to. Somehow, that rather than, than, um, than kind of walking with Jesus, Jesus becomes a bit of a, of a topic that they're conversant in, not a person that they have a relationship with. And we talked about how we would go down. If What would the path be if we were going to uh, wreck our faith? And then last week, a very prominent kind of worldwide known pastor um, fell. And I uh, had an affair and the whole world was talking about it. Uh, wrecked me praying for him, praying for his church. And then our, my phone rang on Sunday and the elders said, hey, John, can you teach this, this text? We need to move some things around. And I said, I would love to. This is where I'm living. This is where I'd love to share with the church. How can we not shipwreck our faith? If you guys remember uh, earlier in the book of uh, 1 Timothy where we've been, uh, chapter one, Paul talks about those who have shipwrecked their faith. And he's talked about those who they, they probably knew the, the signs, but they, they shipwrecked their faith. And that what's coming up next week, you'll hear uh, in, four, in chapter 4, verse 1 of 1 Timothy, uh, is those who abandon the faith. This is very much front of mind uh, to Paul. He's giving instruction. He's giving theology. He's giving uh, things that the church needs to know and do so that they don't let those things happen. And we need to hear them today. And candidly, I just needed to hear them for myself. And I'm glad to share them with you. So let me read the passage um, and then... Uh, and then we'll jump in. Paul says uh, to Timothy in, in 14, uh, 1 Timothy 3, verse 14, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you uh, these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how, to, um, how the people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And beyond all question, the mystery from which godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh. He was vindicated in the spirit. He was seen by angels, preached among the nations, was believed in the world, and was taken up into glory. And so um, I, Paul basically wants, um, wants Timothy to know two things. Uh, we're going to talk about today both the mission of the church and the message of the church. And he's got this little brief little moment and he's going to talk to him. And so uh, he says, hey, I hope to come to you soon. And, and you see the relationship that Paul had with Timothy, which, which I love. Right? He, he, uh, he wanted to see him. And in fact, at the end of 2 Timothy, is a passage I've always been intrigued by. Uh, Paul is in jail at the end of his life and he wants three things. He wants the scriptures, he wants a coat because he's cold, and he asks Timothy to come because he wants to see him. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.8 that he shared not only the gospel but also his very life. There was, there was a relationship that was happening when Paul would go to these cities. And it's a good model for us. Some of us want to have ministry. We just don't want to do the hard work relationally. Parents, uh, it's, a, it's a true adage. Uh, rules without relationship equal rebellion. And I will tell you in community groups, admonition uh, without relationships often ends in bitterness. And it's not the point of the passage, but it's just something to note. There's always a relationship, and that's how we do ministry. That's how we move towards people, and that's how uh, we care. And he says, I'm going to write these instructions so that you will know how to conduct yourselves uh, in the household of God. In case I don't come, Timothy, there's a couple things I want you to know. I want you to know first about the mission of the church. And the, the first thing I want you to know uh, about the, the mission of the church is that it is supposed to be uh, a family. It's supposed to be the household of God. And when, when, when 
Paul said that, um, the church would have had a pretty good understanding, a pretty good connotation of what a family looked like. Um, families would have been the most important thing. It would have been the way that people would have thought about themselves first. More than a part of a city, more than a part of a country, more than anything else uh, they did professionally, they were part of a family. And Paul says, we are, the church is to be the household of God. The church is supposed to be a family. There's an obvious problem there, right? It kind of jumps off the page at us. A lot of us don't like the families we came from. And if the church is somehow like the family I came from, man, I don't know if I want that. Right? Much has been written, much has been preached about how sometimes it's hard for people to understand God is a good father because of their earthly fathers and the sin and the dysfunction that was there. And it makes us hard to, 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 to kind of conceive of who God might be. And I think some of us, the thought that we could trust a group of people and move towards them um, as a family is hard. It's just hard given what, what we've grown up with, given what we've seen and what we have experienced. But families are supposed to be a blessing. A blessing like no other. And when they, when they work the way they're supposed to, they're supposed to be a place of encouragement. They're supposed to be a, a place where, where people celebrate your wins, where they, they also point out the things that you're really good at and help you understand the gifts that God's given you so that you can lean into them and leverage them for his glory. It's a place where you're supposed to laugh, where you're supposed to feel free to cry. Where conversations of substance, real things happen. And where you can ask questions about faith and life that are sticky and might not have clean answers. And where you don't have to pretend to be someone you're not and where you're fully known to the point that people can see your sin. And they can point it out. And they don't hold it against you and pull away while you work it out. They, they lean in. And they love you enough to tell you so that you can see it so that you can change, so that you can honor God. It's a safety net that you fall back on. And when it's done right, right, when family is done the way it's supposed to be done, just the mention of the word family brings a smile. It's the way it's supposed to be. No family's perfect. I know mine's not. Could tell you stories for days. Uh, <laughs> one that illustrates it uh, the best. A couple years ago, we were having a family devotion as a family. So six people in the living room, Bible's open. And um, we're getting ready to look at God's word. And out of the corner of my eye, I see my two sons uh, in a fight. But not like, you know, poking at each other, like fist drawn, ready to pummel each other. And I got my Bible open and my kids are about to pound each other. And we break up the fight, and I can't remember what we did. I just remember my wife just weeping. And, uh, and one of our stated goals as a family was that our kids would be best friends when they left home. And it was really hard to see how that could be a reality, given what was going on in our living room. And the kids aren't perfect, and the parents sure aren't perfect in our home. And, and we, know, <laughs> we know how this is going to go when they leave home. They're going to have uh, meals with friends, and their friends are going to go, hey, tell us about your family. Tell us about your parents. And this is how it's going to go. Man, my parents were great, but my parents, I had a great childhood, but 
And so we've told our kids, we know we have butts. And you can talk about our butts, and we ask you to talk about our butts here in the house, not just when you leave. We've got butts, and the church is the same way. The parishioners, they're not perfect. They do things. They get in fights, and they do things that are not becoming of of a Christian. And the leaders sure aren't perfect either. And so both in families and in the church, because we aren't perfect, we can't love each other uh, because of, we have to love each other in spite of. And we have to choose to commit. You commit to your family. You don't shop your family and see if you can get a better deal. And some of us come to the church and candidly, we come as consumers, not as those who commit. And we come as kind of like a, a department store where we used to shop here, but we found the selection and the service a little better over here. So that's where we used to shop. We shop here now. And we think about church as a place to get religious goods and services, and we, we shop it, and we compare. We, we, uh, we put them side by side and choose the one that meets our needs the most, and that's not how families or churches work. Paul's saying the church is supposed to be the household of God. And so how are we doing, church? How are we doing? Are you committed? Right? If everyone was committed to the church of God as you are, what would we look like? If everybody was uh, is engaged and encouraged and uh, all in and setting an example as you, how would your small group be doing? How would this church be doing? Man, there's, there's great moments. Man, there's great moments as this church. When the church is done right, it's just like nothing else. There's been moments that have happened in this sanctuary that uh, I'll remember, you know, if I live to be 100. I've got those as a family. Uh, one of my favorite moments, you just got a handful of these. One of my favorite moments was uh, I was in Chicago with, uh, we, were, uh, we as a family we were in Chicago and we went on the coastal waterway. We heard you could rent a pontoon boat. So I don't know what I thought was going to happen, but I didn't really understand. They were just going to toss us the keys and say, hey, go have at it and, and drive up and down the, the waterways, which we did uh, along with giant yachts, you know, and there was this little, little motorboat and these giant yachts and we were looking up. But uh, we were there together as a family. We got some Garrett's popcorn. We had our, uh, our phone playing some music and the sun went down and the lights came up over Chicago and we had a last. We laughed, we danced, and we sang. And it was one of those moments you just go, I just wish we could live here forever, you know. It's just like a holy moment. It was a thin place where heaven seemed really close. And one of my kids, I just started crying. I said, hey, buddy, what's wrong? And he goes, I just don't, I don't want this to end. And, and I know that, um, you know, we're going to move out and I know that you're going to die. <laughs> I've got no plans right now, but that's going to happen. And I just don't want it to stop. And that, that, you will have those moments as a church, as a family. But reality is for a family, most of the time, it's a little bit mundane and a little bit messy. It's chores. It's homework. It's paying bills, returning emails, fixing up the house, showing up for appointments, helping each other get through the day, and then putting up with each other when we're not at our best. We have to put up with both the mundane and the messy to have those magical moments. And I think a lot of times we think about family. I just want the magical moments. You can have them, but you've got you to gotta commit through the mundane and the messy, church. That's what Paul is talking about here. How are we doing? It's the mission of the church. One of the missions of the church is to be a family, be the family. And, and, and I love that Paul says it is a, a family of the living God. The head of our family is alive. Some of these other uh, religions, their gods had 
died and were like, you know, uh, we're conjuring them up. Our God lives. Our God lives. And it gives us incredible comfort. I remember when my dad died, I told a friend, I said, if, if life is like, like climbing a rock face, I've been climbing this rock face and I've always been harnessed and tethered in. So if I make a misstep, I've got somebody to catch me. And I just unclipped. And I'm free solo on this, on this rock face. And I, I feel undone. That's not who we are as Christians. The living God is the head of our family. And Paul wants us to know. Colossians 1.18 says Christ is the head of the church. He is alive. He is resurrected. He is risen. He is in heaven. He is the head of our church. I've talked to pastors during, during COVID who feel undone and they're not sure what to do. And they're like, I'm not sure how I lead through this as a pastor. And I've started saying the same thing. You're not the senior pastor. Jesus is. Open up your Bible, read Colossians 1.18. Take your org chart out, flip it sideways, and put Jesus at the top. He's the head of the church. He's the head of our family. One of the missions of the church is to be a family. Another mission of the church uh, is that we are supposed to hold up truth. Right? We are, um, I think in some translations, it says that we are a buttress of the truth. In the NIV, it says we are the foundation and a pillar. We're the foundation and the pillar uh, of truth. And so the, the truth is uh, what, uh, what God has designed. We don't get to vote on it. It's revealed uh, through his word, through the person uh, uh, of Jesus Christ. We, he doesn't ask us what we think. We don't get to pick and choose. He gets to decide truth. Our job is to hold it up to be a pillar or a buttress and a foundation. These are all words that mean the same thing. It's kind of like warm and cozy. It's called the Hendiades. And so Paul's saying this thing uh, we're supposed to hold up. So a buttress, if you've forgotten your medieval architecture, uh, we brought a picture here, right? So that is, uh, those are buttresses. They hold up. They're not the thing. They just hold it up. And um, you, the uh, church in Ephesus would have been very aware of, uh, obviously, the church or the uh, temple of Diana or Artemis, and which had these massive pillars. And they would have understood, okay, yeah, that's what Paul's saying. He said, we are, the church, us individually and corporately, we're like these little pillars, and we're supposed to hold up truth. That's our job. That's part of the mission of the church. And if we don't do that, bad things happen. They always have. In the church, Anytime the church has not held up truth, it's moved towards insignificance and it's become dead, it's become a relic. And if you travel through Western Europe, there's some gorgeous churches. And what happened was in about the 1800s, some really smart people like serious gray matter people who also I think wanted to help the church were just saying, you know what? Some of these messages aren't playing really well. That whole like exclusivity of Christ, the deity of Christ, absolute morality, like that's not playing. We did some polling. It's not doing real good right now. So we can help out the church. And they began to turn back the dial on truth. And now they're museums. And you pay a couple bucks to walk through and see what was at one point um, the true, uh, a, true, a true church. They gave up on truth and they... Um, or no longer, many of them. There's actually some really encouraging things happening in Europe, but, but by and large, the church uh, is what was. 
Churches don't do well. Societies don't do well. Anytime the church has not held to truth, not lifted it up and said, there is an absolute morality. There is a God. There is a life after death. People matter. People are made in the image of God. And we have to do all we can to uphold life, protect life, treat everyone equal. Bad things happen. Slavery in some regard happened because the church did not uphold the truth. And when it did, we began to unwind it. There's still consequences to play, to pay, because we didn't uphold the truth. Society works. It's a compass. The church can be a compass as we hold to truth. And I know, I know listen, I know sometimes it's not popular. I, I really do. Right? And I, I've thought about this week, I was thinking about if I was a disciple, which disciple would I be? And I, if you'll just indulge me for a second, I think I would be the disciple that would like help Jesus out. We're at the Sermon on the Mount, and, uh, and Jesus is saying some hard things, and I go, hey, guys, we'll be right back. Jesus, come here. Listen, that was like sharp, you, th- those edges. What if, what if we tried this? I think we could round it and play really well. I know, you're, do you see those people leaving? You're the, you know, you're the son of God, so you know, like, everything. But they're, they're leaving back there, bro. And so if you said it this way, I think it would be way more palatable. I, I think that's who I would have been, especially the first 15 years of my uh, walking with Christ. It doesn't work well. I know it's hard. Churches don't do well. Societies don't do well. And people don't do well when we, when we don't uphold the truth. And I've seen this play out over and over and over again. You want to know how to shipwreck your faith? You give up on some of the truth, the core truths, not, not inconsequential or um, uh, opinions, but the core truths of Scripture. You start to move on those, and it's a matter of time before you shipwreck or you abandon uh, the faith, as 4-1 will say. It happens every single time. And again, I understand, truly. Um, I think if I was a disciple and we're sitting around the, the, the fire at night and I you know if Matthew or Luke were there or John was there and I'd say, hey guys, Jesus said that thing today. What if we left that out? Because I think to, knowing what, you know, I bet's gonna happen in 2020, they're not gonna like that. And so let's leave that out. Right? I, I bet I would have done that. And I've seen it as a pastor uh, now for well over 20 years when people begin to move truth and they, they're with their friends who don't like the truth, they give up on it and it's just a matter of time. Part of the mission of the church is to hold up and hold on to truth. The mission of the church is to be a family. The mission of the church is to uphold truth. That's what we do. Now Paul talks about the message of the church. And uh, Paul is going to um, kind of quote uh, a hymn. Uh, most likely this, was, um, uh, this would have been a, a hymn that uh, the church in Ephesus would have known about. And, and he says um, in 14, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness spring, uh, springs is great. And mystery was a term, uh, mysterion was a term that a lot of the, the religions around uh, that time would have uh, understood that there was kind of, you were always after this secret knowledge, right? And wish some of our religions still today are that way. You try to level up, you try to, you pay more money for more courses to get the, the, the knowledge. And with Christianity, you get it all. And Paul's saying the mystery has been revealed. It's Christ. This thing that you're trying to figure out what it is, it's Christ. He was here. And if you want to know who he was or how to be godly, it's in plain sight. And he's going to quote uh, he's going to 
quote this, this hymn. It was, it was intended probably to be sung. It's got, in, in the Greek, it's kind of got some, uh, some rhythm to it. And uh, so I thought today I would just sing it for you as I think it would have been sung. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Some of you thought I was, man. That, that was encouraging. Uh, I can't sing. I'm terrible at singing. Uh, there was a few years ago, or uh, sorry, during COVID, I uh, had all the kids home from college and we were, uh, we were singing a hymn. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, just, I'm just doing my best. I'm doing the best I can, man. And uh, one of my kids goes, hey, let's give it up for dad. Because he, he changed keys three times during this hymn. And that's really hard to do. I mean, just mocking an, an abuse. So I won't sing it, but hopefully I'll encourage you as I explain just the wonder of uh, what Paul is laying out. And he's laying out what, who Christ is and, and what we call the gospel or the good news. And so if you're a believer, this should feel uh, just like you should just be warm inside. Yes, that's how I got in. This is what I'm about. This is who we are. And if you're not, if you're not a believer, if you haven't trusted in Christ, this is good news. This is really good news, and I'm excited to share with you. Um, first, Paul says that Jesus, he's talking about he is, is Jesus. He appeared in the flesh, and Christ came, and orthodox understanding of Jesus is that he was both God and man equally. And we make a big deal about that as Christians, and you ask, why, why is that the case? Well, it has to be. It has to be the case. Because Romans 5 will tell us that man owed a debt to God. It was a debt that was owed to God. Man sinned and he owed, owed that debt back to God. But he couldn't pay it because he is not perfect. You need a perfect man to be the sacrifice to pay for um, the sin of us individually and for mankind. None of us can do that. And so the only, the only way to resolve that is to have God exist as a, a perfect man and pay the debt to himself on our behalf. It's the wonder of the gospel. Every other religion is you do, Christianity is Christ did. It's the wonder of the gospel and Paul says this is the message of the church is that he appeared in the flesh. Second, he was vindicated by the spirit, which means he was proven to be right. Right? Jesus is making some really audacious claims. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And they ask him who he is, and he says, I am. And they go to stone, and they're like, this guy says he's God. Is he? I don't know. No one knows. It's really obvious. They don't know. And then the death, burial, and resurrection. Christ is raised from the dead, and then everyone goes, yes. He, he was, in fact, the Christ, the Son of God. Of God. He was God. He conquered sin and death. He not only paid for it, uh, he's so powerful because he's God, he rose from the dead. And after that, he was seen by the angels. And so he went uh, up into heaven. The angels saw him. And then before he left, before Jesus left uh, in Matthew 28, he told he told the disciples and all his followers that they were to preach the gospel right, to all the nations, starting where they were and then working uh, outward. And um, he, Jesus was preached among the nations. And the church of Ephesus would have read this and go, yeah, that's us. 50 years ago, we didn't know who Jesus was and we sure didn't have a church, but check that out. Yeah, he was preached. Like he was preached among us. And this pagan city, we now have a church. We're here because people preach and because guys like Paul took the gospel message, but they didn't only preach it, it was believed in the world. They believed it in Ephesus. 
They believed in it so much that they continued uh, to pass it on. Uh, you're here today because people preached and believed, preached and believed the good news of Jesus Christ. Pam and I were in um, the north side of Iceland several years ago, and uh, I mean, uh, it was just, it was a gorgeous day, and there was a fishing museum. <laughs> and I was like, I want to go see that. And Pam was like, no way. Uh, there's the ocean, and it's sunny, and there's a coffee shop. I'll be right here. She gave, she, she gave me a kiss, and she said, have fun, history boy. And so, uh, so I went in. I went into this um, museum by myself, and you know, it went kind of as you would expect uh, fishing museums to go. And uh, off to the this is the craziest thing. Off to the side, there was a little room. It looked like it might have been at one point like a, like a broom closet or something. And I walked in there. I didn't understand, is this part of the museum or not? I go in there, and there's a TV playing on a loop. And there's this guy, he's doing this down at the dock. And I was like, is that guy preaching? And so I'm in Iceland, like, you know, Western Europe, secular Europe, uh, just outside of the Arctic Circle. And it, it tells a story of this guy uh, who just preached and was a, uh, kind of a pastor to the town. And uh, he made money by day and he pastored and preached. And then he gave uh, what money he did have to kids around the world. I just thought. I mean, the Arctic Circle's right there. Somehow the gospel traveled all up uh, to hear that he's that impacted. We're not dealing uh, in life hacks that Jesus, like, kicked out these little pithy sayings. This stuff is powerful. It's the good news. The good news has power. Then finally, he was taken up to glory. Jesus was, is, and will receive glory to the end of time. He's our king. He's worthy of our glory. That's the good news, friends. That's the good news. And so uh, for the, the, there's three different groups in here. First, if you're not a believer, if you not understand, haven't understood yet who Jesus is and his offer for you, that, that, is a, that is good news for you. You don't have to pay for your own sin. You can't, Christ has, and all you have to do is accept and believe, which was so hard for me to do uh, initially. I, I heard the gospel so many times until God just did a work and I was like, I understand. And I responded, if you haven't yet, today could be the day of salvation. At the end of the service, you want to come down here and talk about that? We'd love to. Second, some of us are dealing with some pretty significant guilt and shame right now and you need to be reminded of the gospel. And um, I think COVID um, and the isolation of COVID uh, for many of us, it's caused us to, or allowed us to think things, do things that we're not proud of, and candidly, we wouldn't want anybody to know. And I want you to know that God knows, and he's not mad. The gospel is that he saved no wrath for you. He poured it all out on his son, and he didn't wait until 2020 for you to do the thing that you did so that he could pour out some of the leftover wrath on you. He poured it all out on his son, saved none for you. Be free. You're forgiven. Walk and, and act uh, uh, out your faith in a manner in keeping with repentance. But you're forgiven. And even, you know, uh, we, we opened with pastors that had fallen. There's, there's guys here in this church who actually pastored churches and did things that made like national headlines. And there was consequences to pay for sure, but God is using them now. And I hope God uses in the future, this pastor that fell this week, we beware lest we fall. We don't think that we're somehow better, but I just want you to know, if you got a story, God knows it, and he's paid for it.
But here, here's the group I really want to talk to uh, today. It's, um, it's those of you that are believers. You understand that? You could actually stand up here right now and explain the gospel. You get it. Uh, you believed it. You've said it. You've taught it. You could explain it. But it makes no difference to your life. You walk out and you don't really think about the gospel. It doesn't have an impact. It doesn't, uh, doesn't change anything about the way that you think. And you are as Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, you have forgotten God and you're living Christianity without God. Or as Jerry Bridges said, you are ungodly. You are ungodly. And he defines ungodliness in a, in a book, um, Respectable Sins, is, is this. Ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God or of God's will or of God's glory or of his dependence on God. You can readily see then that someone can lead a respectable life and still be ungodly in the sense that God is essentially irrelevant to his or her life. They may even attend church for an hour or so each week, but then they, they live the remainder of the week as if God doesn't exist. They're, they are not wicked people, but they are ungodly. And it's ungodliness, I think, that ultimately is going to lead to the demise of many of us. If we're going to shipwreck our faith, it will be this. This is how I will go down. Um, you can remind me of it if I, uh, if I have an affair with another woman or do something else that discredits the name of Christ. That, was, that is how I will go down. I live ungodly. I live, Christian, I live Christianly and morally, but without any kind of thought of God. And I, I think um, for many of us, Christianity is a thing that we used to do, we used to really be into. And have you ever walked through somebody's garage and you can see the trail of what they, were, they used to be into? Have you ever done that? So there was the rower, you know, and the guy's like, oh man, I was, I was into the rower. It was like five times a week, you know, my lats and my back were huge, I used the rower. But then, that, I don't do that, I, then I got into the stepper. I was into the stepper and man, it was like... <laughs> You know, and uh, my quads got ginormous. And now, but I don't, I'm not into that anymore. Now, what I'm into is Peloton, right? Peloton. And I got the, non, the non-slip mat. I did the package, the upgrade, you know, and I got the water bottles and the weights. How do you lift weights when you're on a bike? But I've got the subscription and, you know, the, the tight pants that uh, I shouldn't wear in public. I've got it all, man. I'm into it. And you know they will not be into it. There's the golf clubs that are dusty, and they can tell you stories of shots they took that will blow your mind. And in fact, if you need help with your golf swing, they can help you. They've studied it that much that they could fix the slice in your swing, but they don't golf. Golfing is what they used to be into. And some of us, I think, have a box in our garage that says, Jesus. It's a thing we used to really be into, and if you open it up, you'll see your Bible that used to be so well-worn and went with you everywhere. And there's scripture memory cards where you were enamored by and in love with God's word, so you memorized it. And there's pictures of your first Christian friends and you remember being on mission together. There's your journal there and you, you read it and you go, wow, I was trying to figure out how to obey all of God's word. And I was, I was actually confessing down to the thought level all of my sins and struggles. And I, man, I prayed some audacious prayers. All of them trinkets and relics of a time when God was something you used to be into. But not anymore. Just not into God. 
not in to Jesus. Used to be, used to be, not now. We've become ungodly. So now's the time when you're ready for the to-do list. You guys ready? Get your pens out, get your phones ready, because I got 10 things that are going to fix this right now. And all you have to do is try harder and run faster and jump higher. You guys ready? I want to propose a different way out of ungodliness. And it's something that, that I'm working with, uh, working through, working on, trying to be transformed, uh, becoming somehow having Christ formed in me. And it's not so much trying harder as much as it is, like Brother Lawrence said, it's a book I highly recommend to you. I'm trying to practice the presence of God. Trying to remember that God is with me and he is for me. He is all around me and I need to yield and submit to him. I asked some friends how they were doing it. David Pinuel, who often makes announcements up here, he said, you know, when I shower, I remind myself that my soul needs God's cleansing. And, and when I'm getting dressed, that my sin needs God's covering. And when I'm eating, that my soul needs God's nourishment. And when I'm uh, driving, that God is sending me out on mission. Nathan Wagnon told me, he said, I pray Bartimaeus' prayer a lot. Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what I've been doing recently is setting my watch to beep every hour. And when it does, the first thing uh, kind of in my mind is, you are God and I surrender to you. And then I pray prayers of worship or confession, um, thanksgiving. But I'm amazed at how often it beeps once an hour. And I can't even think about God since then. It's crazy. But that is what I want to propose is the way out of ungodliness. Knowing that message of the church but not actually living it. And so what if, friends, what if you woke up tomorrow? Before your eyes opened, you thought about God. And as you ate your breakfast, you prayed that God would sustain you. And as you went to work, you prayed that God would use you and he would remind, remind you that he uh, is with you and that anything that happens to you has passed through his hands. He's got it and you can be at peace today. And then when someone was late or they didn't perform well, your first thoughts were, I'm so grateful for the grace of God. I'm going to move towards this person out of the grace that I have received, not wrath or anger. And then at lunch with your coworker, rather than trying to get something from them and seeing them as someone who could advance your career or, or get you a deal, you saw them as God's son or daughter, somebody he was crazy about. And you pray and ask how he could, be, how he could use you in the life of that believer. And then on the way home, you, you replayed your day and asked God to show you anything you did or thought that didn't please him so that you could repent, make amends tomorrow if you needed to. And then in the evening, whatever the agenda was, whether soccer practice, chores, or catching up on work, you, you, you asked the Father, what would it look like to, to glorify you and bring you honor tonight? And then your last thoughts as you laid down were about the gospel. And you are grateful to God for what he's done for you. You rehearsed the gospel. You thank God for the gospel. And you thought about God. And you went to sleep. There's a thousand commands in the New Testament. There's no possible way that you could keep them or keep up with them. Our only hope is to live a godly life and a God consciousness, uh, as Paul Tripp calls it, a God awareness. And I think for many of us, that is our step. So the challenge this week, friends, Regards to the mission 
And what do you need to do to move closer to the family? What do you have to do to commit and be a better family member? Second, what, is, what do you have to do to hold on to truth and hold up truth? Both for yourself and your own heart, your community group, your community, your extended family at the workplace. What would it look like to lovingly hold up truth? And third, what would it look like to not only believe the gospel, be able to rehearse the gospel, but also to live in light of it? Moment by moment with a God consciousness an awareness that God is with you and a yieldedness to him that would bring us immense joy and God much glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. Some of us need to respond to it. I pray that you would give us understanding if we don't have it so that we could. Some of us need to be reminded of it, that you are for us, you're not against us, you saved no wrath, you poured it all out on your son. And some of us need to walk it out day by day, moment by moment. We're not doing that. We're aware of what you said. We're just not aware moment by moment that you're with us and we're not yielding our hearts. Would you help us do that? Father, would you help us individually and would you help us be a a body, a community, a family, that that is what marks us, that we love you, that we walk with you. It's our desire. Would you please help us?